They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. This is a very special episode um, because we have now been doing this show for two years. Um, October 7th, 2018 was the very first episode of this show. It was the... Oh, God, I'm guessing, I don't remember if this came before or after Talkbuster now. This was either the third or fourth podcast I created, and it now has more episodes than any of the podcasts I've created, because all of you folks out there that have reached out and decided to connect with me and be guests on the show and be part of this awesome little group of you know, podcasters and friends out here on Twitter and everywhere else um, have made it just the, the massive hit that it is. People love this show. Um, and I love not having to have a set idea about what I'm going to talk about. I love um, having someone new on getting to know them cold and right off the bat. And so uh, before I get into my special guests joining me on this celebration, I will do what I normally do and thank my $15 or more a month patrons, which is grown significantly. Thank you all so much for the support. Um, they are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, Collaborating Online, Alex Shaw, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krause, and Little Nikki. And to my newest patrons, Jessica Gronsbell and Jordi Collado, or Collado. I can never remember, Jordi, how to pronounce your last name. It was an intern and a friend that worked with me at work a few years back, and I think he's moved on to bigger and better companies. So, Yordi, um, thank you so much for the support. This show, as a lot of my shows are, is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast, who also do the show Geeks with Haunt, Geeks Who Haunt, sorry. And since this is the October time frame when this is releasing, you should jump on over there and hear what they're giving you this year, because I'm at least on one episode, if not more. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And I also forgot to mention that they also do Geeks of Grimdark, which has had an awesome first season run. It's all about Warhammer. I've been on that as well. Um, so get on there and listen to that. And because, you know, nepotism is real on this show, after two years, I would like to welcome the Geeks with Shields, Axel and Ulrich. Guys, please... Tell the internet who you are and say hi. Hey, I'm Axel. Normally, Ulrich introduces himself first, so I didn't want to jump right in because I'm social like that. <laughs> social like that. You know, that's one way of putting it. Well, I, you know, I used to be much more of an introvert, but I feel like I've become much more of an extrovert. Maybe that comes from being forced to live alone in an apartment for, you know, like eight months. So, <laughs> sad. Anyway, although I will say that, uh, you know, every time, like, I hear Chris do that, I'm like, you know, we don't talk about nearly enough comics. And now I'm thinking, after we finish the Echo Log series that we're currently doing, which we haven't released the first episode yet, so I'm not going to say what it is necessarily. At least I don't think we have. Uh, our next Echo Log series should be a comic. We should we should figure out which one, Ulrich. So. Ooh, I got some ideas. Yeah, right. that'd be really cool. I'm I'm down with that, man. You guys, got to do that. I, I can think of a few that I'd want. I wouldn't mind doing. So, has to be a big event one or something. Anyway, but that's that's not what we're here to talk about. We're we're here on Chris's show, and man, thank you for having us, especially on an anniversary. That's awesome, bro. Yeah, do you guys know you've been guests on this show eight times? This will be and number nine. 
And today we're not talking about something Warhammer related. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's tangentially it's Warhammer. Kind of yes, this right? is very tangential. And, and I'd also like to say, yeah, so you were a guest on this show eight times. This would be nine. And we also did that crossover episode of The Tangent. So you guys, I believe, are the, the most guested guests. Well, we don't have your numbers, but I'm pretty sure you're the most guested guest on our show, too. So hell yeah. See, I, I feel I feel pretty confident in that. Wouldn't you say, Ulrich? Yeah, it's close. It's close. I don't know if Wretched or Woundvog, um, I yeah, know they, they've they, been on a bunch. Well, Woundvog, more than, we haven't been able to get Wretched on in a while because of his time frame. It's a lot harder to get to get him free. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> cool. Well, this um, you know, we've talked about a bunch um on your show and on my show. Um, that uh, we all have a love for this particular movie we're going to talk about today. And as it is very much related to Warhammer, and I learned that more as I was listening and reading along with the uh, Three Horus Rising books um, that started that franchise with you guys. Um, it's amazing, you know, the parallels. I mean, you know, space fascists be space fascists, I guess. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know... I had promised Ulrich at the beginning that we'd eventually get a show on to talk about this movie. And I th can't think of a better thing than a two year anniversary to talk about the 1997 science fiction epic directed by Paul Verhoeven, Starship Troopers. Now, did you guys see this in the theater? So here's I one thing, real, real quick. About what is it, about six months ago, we did a. A yep. movie viewing with uh, just a it's like maybe six of us. It was me, Ulrich, Chris, and like a couple of our patrons um, of watching Starship Troopers. That was the first time I'd ever seen it. Really? You hadn't seen Starship Troopers before then? I had not seen it at that point. No. So that was the, my first time seeing it then. Well, I don't like to put wow. words in your mouth then. I, I hope my saying that we all mutually all like this movie was not a, a lie. Oh no, I liked it. Certainly. Oh, okay, cool. Just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to point out that like I am definitely the newest to it because I I literally only saw it like 6 months ago and it was funny because I was in Warhammer first and I knew that Warhammer had pulled from things like Starship Troopers and other things uh although it would have been pulling from the book cuz the book's but anyway, not the point. But so then seeing it and then having those parallels solidify was pretty cool. But anyway, point is that I only saw it because you guys were like, hey, let's do a Starship Troopers movie night. And I was like, all right. <laughs> wow. Ulrich, what about you? When did you see this bastard the first time? I saw it when it first released on uh, VHS. And I haven't been able to get the story straight, but I am fairly certain that my mom rented this movie for my brothers and I. And she firmly denies she would never rent something so stupid. <laughs> she she hates this movie. But I remember I saw it as a kid. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And then my grandparents had it recorded off the TV. And I would always try and convince them to let me watch it whenever I was over there. My grandfather was like, yeah, sure. And my grandma was like, oh, no, that's much too violent for you. I don't approve. That's crazy. I I want to say that does not help. That does not help. That Ulrich has had problems in that. So Ulrich and I and you, we're all pretty progressive guys in general. Uh, yes. Just looking at our our online presences, right? It's just funny that Ulrich has been accused many times of being a fascist for numerous reasons, mostly because he's got 
he's got kind of a, a bit of a macho personality, but also he's got a Warhammer tattoo that looks fascisty. And if you don't know what Warhammer is, and uh, and being in a Starship, it's just funny because like we know Ulrich, you know, Ulrich's my brother, and I know he's not that but it's just funny when you say things like that. It's like this is why people think you're a fascist bro oh so. i know and i've already decided i'm getting a starship troopers tattoo like that's next on the list oh the uh the death one the death from above <laughs> yes <laughs> i saw that I'm like i know where that's going that's gonna be so cool i that yeah that's gonna be awesome oh that's so badass so you know and it, it's really important this movie you know, um, I'll get I'll get by the 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 not the negative, but the darker time with, you know, where I saw this movie the first time. I think we've talked about this before, but it always comes in. So my grandfather, who was the person who owned the house I live in now, um, passed away of a massive heart attack in November of 1997. And I remember coming out of school and my parents, you know, saying, you know, Chip had a heart attack. He's in the hospital. They didn't tell us what happened. And, uh, you know, they didn't tell us that he, he was already dead. Like they didn't, cause I was 14 and my brother, sorry, I was 13 and my brother was, uh, 16. Um, so, uh, you know, we got picked up at school. We heard about that. And that weekend while my parents were figuring out, you know, all the details with the funeral and everything, my mother's brother took me and my brother and watched us, my uncle Bill. And he asked us what we wanted to do. And my uncle Bill loves big, dumb action movies. That's like his thing. Mm -hmm. he, he would take us to see, you know, the Mission Impossible movies. You know, the Alien, Alien Resurrection had come out either that year or the year before or close to that. He took us to see that, you know. And so we're like, we got to see Starship Troopers. And I remember him several times during the movie turning and going, Please don't tell your parents I showed you this. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it though. We all we all loved it. Um, you know, but uh, it, it was it was a really positive thing. Like that, you know, this movie was very cathartic for me back then because it's so very like you said. It's got if you're a 13 year old kid and obviously the oh yeah you know uh, the 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 outfits that they're wearing especially near the end of the movie look very nazi-ish you know and th there's definitely a lot of that heavy-handed stuff but i took this movie very seriously at 13 um the same way i take you know a movie like robocop very serious i saw it as a serious action movie and saw less of the social commentary part of it it was definitely there but this was a lot earlier in my love of film i think the film magnolia might have come out a year or two after this because Bob couldn't get me in to see this because he was 16. So my first like he would he started taking me to like to R-rated dramas. And that's where like my love of like American um, beauty had come out very shortly oh, after boy. this. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's, like these are things. So oh yeah. So you know God, and it's just changed it. So so you know, like you say, someone that doesn't know you taken out of context if you run around screaming like rico's roughnecks and you know like <laughs> rah rah like kill, kill bugs you know and all this stuff and you're like a kid 100 buying into the the main narrative of this movie or you know things like warhammer which are very grim dark and very fascist if you don't understand that it's tongue-in-cheek and kind of poking fun at that side of itself um it'd be the same if you know you watch a movie like robocop or total recall and side with the fascists uh, paul verhoeven is is really good at making films like that i've never read the book have either of you read the book 
I read the book. I own the book. I really like the book. And cool. I was going to do a book club on the book because I think it's worth discussing because it has a really, it has a reputation, which I think is unfairly based because so few people have actually read it. I have cool. not read it, but I have heard, and again, this is just secondhand, thirdhand information, that the general consensus is that whereas the movie is is kind of, what's great about it is that it's a contrasting thing. It, it's kind of a parody of itself in a way that a lot of people have a problem with the book for being too self-serious, a lot more directly fascist than, you know, than the movie. So, again, I have not read it, so this is, I can't, this is just what I've heard. So. Well, it's it's interesting, you, you know, if you, and again, I want to get into to that aspect of it. I, I wanted to go back to something else. I've been watching a ton, and I know through the, the Michael Bay rewatches, we've been watching a lot of movies together that come from a time period um, near when this movie was released. This was 97, and, you know, 97 was also the year of Titanic. So, you know, you get, you know, that's on the end of the spectrum of, holy shit, digital effects and blending with stuff has taken us really far. But... I've watched a few movies from that era that don't hold up effects wise as well. They were kind of leaning too heavy on the digital and this movie kind of like the first Jurassic park still looks really fucking good. There's like, some black magic, the $105 million they spent on this movie. I mean, to contrast that today, um, birds of prey, which again is a gorgeous movie. The birds of prey does not have, a hundred thousand digital bug characters running around on screen eating people cost twenty million dollars less than this movie. The ships in this movie, the space flight scenes, rival the shit they're doing in the current Star Wars movies. Do you know what I mean? Like th this movie is fucking gorgeous. I'm gonna say for for 1997, the bugs look pretty good. No, like, they as far as CG still look good. Like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. And the blending of practical effects and digital, um, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot on our on our Michael Bay discussions, but, you know, mention because Michael Bay was also very good at blending um, practical and CG. That's one of the things he's really well known for is that, you know, the the explosions are often done on set. So they bring the digital, but whatever. Fuck that guy. But I, will, I um, will tell you that I never thought I have many, many problems with his movies, but I never thought that explosion looks fake. Right. So, but yeah. this movie everything feels like it hit like for a movie that's very tongue in cheek and kind of putting you in the seat and, and, and talk about a movie that kind of sees the future, that use of like the, the cutaway, like internet, do you want to know more <laughs> thing? Would you like is, to know? It, yeah. It's very black mirror. Like in it's like, well, you're, like you're viewing the movie as someone at your computer, like watching in and it, it really is such a pro because most technology from that era, you know, doesn't hold up. You look at it and go, oh, they tried to do something futuristic and it didn't work. And in this movie, you look at that and go, no, that's that's basically that's basically the internet. Like that that's that's how well, this what works. I, what, what I didn't know until literally a few minutes ago, because I was like, I'm gonna look at the wiki to just kind of remind myself. Because I haven't watched it since we watched it six yep. months ago, and I did not know this. But it says here that uh, Verhoeven stated that the first scene of the film, the, the advertisement that you're talking about, was adapted shot for shot from a scene from Triumph of the Will. Yes. Yeah. So no. that makes it even more terrifying. But <laughs> And it's really, those are really the only parts of the film that outwardly poke 
that awkwardly break that that break the fourth wall and let you in on the fact that the movie wants you to judge what's happening. Because if you follow the story proper, the movie kind of is a hero's journey for Rico. It's in those cutaways that they show you like you know, the scenes of them dealing with the bugs once they capture them are horrifying. Like this thing's being tortured. And I know they've shown it like killing people, but that would be the same like in Jurassic Park if they came in and said, yeah, that raptor ate a guy. Instead of shooting it, we're going to, you know, dismember it. And (laughs) there's there's a big difference, right, in, in how you handle an enemy. And this movie, you know, had very, you know, very very pointed views on these things, you know? No, uh, Verhoeven has talked very openly because he was living in Holland during the invasion of Nazi Germany. So he very openly said this was an opportunity to, you know, kind of take a lot of the stuff he saw and dealt with as a child and put it into, you know, movies up to, you know, the desensitization that he had to kind of develop after seeing dead bodies in the street. He's like, well, what if a whole society was built around that? Like, what if they had just been so desensitized to violence? And what would that society look like? I'll stop I'll stop reading off the wiki after this, but I just got to put one more out there for this entire conversation to keep in mind, in which uh, one of the actors, while filming this, asked Verhoeven, why are you doing a right-wing fascist movie? And Verhoeven replied, and I had heard this quote before seeing the movie, so I think this is relatively well-known, but Verhoeven said, quote-unquote, if I tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, no one will listen to me. So I'm going to make a perfect fascist world. Everyone is beautiful. Everything is shiny. Everything has big guns and fancy ships, but it's only good for killing fucking bugs. Damn. No, it it really is. This man, he is a genius. Yes, he is. No, (laughs) this is a great movie because it's a brilliant sci-fi action movie. Like, it is one of the best. But when you get down to, you know, the meat and start looking at the satire of it, and it just kind of goes, one of the biggest strengths of fascism is how appealing it can make itself. It doesn't show the atrocities. It just shows, look how great and wonderful everything is. Look how bright and shiny everything is. Look how terrible the people over here are. Yeah, I didn't mean to take us like directly into the to this type of the conversation, but no, I felt like okay. it was just so... Because so, there's a lot to talk about just from like a film kind of standpoint, like... I I am so used to war movies like this being so hard to follow, uh, visually speaking. And again, I don't really know Verhoeven's filmography offhand, but everything is very clear, like in the battle sequences. And I just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, being able to easily follow the, the the lines of action. It's a lost art, and he has it. Verhoeven's, if you follow back his filmography, you know, even just go with the big ones. You've got Robocop, Total Recall, and this. Like, if you go with the big, big, big ones. Um, Leaving out, you know, his dramatic takes uh, for a minute. The films all have a sense of, they're all very bright. Um, They're all very clean. And you can tell what's going on in all of them. He has very intentional. He wants the the horror to be horrific, and he wants the happiness to be happy. And he wants he's he's very good at making movies that have very paralleling um, views of things. And and I like that quote a lot. I want it to be beautiful. He cast like a who's who 
of young up and coming actors in this movie. I mean, Casper Van Dien is not a good actor, but he is, <laughs> but he is perfect you for this. Bite your tongue, sir. No, he is not a good actor, but he is very good in this. Do, do you know what I mean? He's perfect for this role. He nails this role. Um, Here's the thing. Odds are he will listen to this because he is a bigger fan of Starship Troopers than good. anybody else. No, and, and, and I mean it. He rocks this fucking movie. Um, oh. Denise, Denise Richards, another person who at the time, you know, was showing up in movies that were very dumb, you know, and, and this one, she's in a, you know, she's in a very strong, like, her arc in this movie, everyone's arc in this movie is crazy. Like, the, the things they go in. Dina Mayer, who I've always loved, is Dizzy Flores. She seems like she's going to be super one-off and one-note and ends up... Her death is one of the most awful emotional deaths in the entire fucking movie. Jake Busey, for some reason, just always fucking charming and amazing, even though his dad's a nut bar. Um, say he's a Busey. He's going to be charismatic on screen, but in and, a crazy way. Right. <laughs> and, and, he, and he really... He, he again he he fulfills the role he needs to fulfill in this and then to cast neil patrick harris who i think this is one of the biggest things he had done since doogie hauser yeah i think he's fresh um, off doogie hauser trying to get the series yeah role. to cast him in such a complicated role like he comes as you know like okay this is going to be the egon you know he's the nerdy friend and he's going to be you know you know fun comic relief and then he slowly as he builds confidence becomes the most dangerous one of all of them easily you know? <laughs> and, and it's just like holy shit like and and just you know we you know we have to you know we we had to send you to the planet it was the only way and it's like you just sent all like you made a decision to kill all these people. Yeah, but it found me this brain bug, and now I'm all happy about it. It's like, oh Jesus! And it's, you literally are wearing a Gestapo SS uniform. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus and Christ! People, Sorry, it's, just, it's a funny. It's a, seriously, it's a funny coincidence that we were talking about Cobra Kai earlier, and how like the meekest character becomes the biggest problem, and then same thing here. So. <laughs> Yep. No, Verhoeven knew what he was parodying. He he lived. He had seen actual Nazis. He knew that had people that become the Nazis. It's not you know the big Boana mans. It's the kind of nerdy dudes that have a craving for power and will abuse it. No, one of my favorite scenes in this movie. We're still talking. You know, we'll talk parody. Is when Rico gets reinforcements. The reinforcements are almost kids. Yes. And it's a dual narrative of, you know, all the new bloods, they're all young bucks, they're, you know, new to the fight. But also, this war has been going on long enough that now they're recruiting them straight out of high school. Like, really young kids are now getting sent off to this war. And they're being sent off with very much inadequate firepower. Like, yep, that's the other mom. thing we notice in all what of is this. The, um... How how does the quote go? Uh, pilots do the flying, the Marines do the dying. Yeah, pilots mobile do the infantry flying, the mobile dying. infantry does the dying. Yep, this is such a quotable movie. I love it. Well, the enemy cannot press a button if you have disabled his hand. Yes, well, it, it's just funny because that quote, like I feel like more than anything in a single quote, kind of gets across. I think what Verhoeven might be trying to say, because I said I was done reading off the wiki, but I did see someone's that he said at one point that the, he he considers the theme of this movie war makes fascists of us all, and the that that line that you know mobile mobile infantry does the dying is such a fatalistic like these are these are the people who are doing quote unquote the dying saying this in yep. the movie <laughs> so. and they're proud of it at that point 
They're proud of it at that point. That's the crazy thing. They've completely drank the Kool-Aid. Like, right? Like, you you watch... I mean, Casper Van Dien's character doesn't... He is questioning the existence of all of this stuff from the beginning. He joins because of Denise Richards. People ask him throughout the movie, do you really want to be a citizen? Do you believe that this is the way? Like, his parents are very much anti the, you know, what's going on here. And, you know, and they, you know, what they get for that is having a fucking meteor dropped on them. But, um, they, uh, once, uh, sorry. <laughs> yes, seriously. But that, you know, they, they tell him flat out, you know, are you doing this for the right reason? And he says, well, I don't know. And then you get about halfway through the movie and he's full on. I say we kill all of them. And at the end of the movie, it kind of is a very ambiguous, like, are they all okay with this? Like, we just have to keep fighting. Wait, question. I literally, I can't believe I only just thought of this. But does that mean that the implication is that the town that they come from, right, is moderately affluent based on what we see? And that maybe it's full of citizens like Rico's parents? And so yeah. that and so that the the meteor, the asteroid, not only did it, was it an uh, a foolproof like reason to go to war, but also took out a community of what are possibly dissenters. Thus, yeah, it's it's a very okay. it's a very mm-hmm. fine line of you know we could go on a whole awful Joe Rogan style like nine eleven truther thing here, which I'm not going to do because that's well, bullshit. this is it's, it's a, it's a fictional movie. I'm just saying, theory. like, is the is the movie trying? Is that what the movie is trying to say? I'm not saying like. That's that's because there's the difference there. It's like this is a fictional movie, and I'm like, is that yes. what the movie is? No, trying? I'm just saying. I I, so. I I'm thinking about the same thing now. As soon as you said it, I'm like, shit. <laughs> okay, so that is a legitimate theory. But one of the firstly, the idea like Verhoeven kind of you know play with the idea of like this is a utopia. So yeah, everyone is kind of that same level of affluence. Like they're from Buenos Aires, South America, and they've been made. It's all white people. Yep. So cost of the fascism here but no there is a legitimate theory that people have kind of pointed out going how did the bugs manage to launch a meteorite with the precision to hit a major earth city when they don't even have intergalactic travel and they're mostly limited to you know this little group of rocks on the far distance no we've we've been kind of we've been kind of shown that they're just kind of firing off at free random um they they did say someone says they can knock an asteroid out of orbit, but it doesn't look like they're doing it as an offensive. They just kind of do it and hope that they hit something. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I was literally just bringing up like just now that when you said about the, his parents, it's like the thought crossed my mind. It's like you know if he's making a whole like this is what a fascist society looks like. It wouldn't I wouldn't put it past that he's implying that a fascist society will destroy its own people in order to get rid of problem people no, while at the same time course. creating an excuse to do something else well it so, rides yeah. you it rides you down the fine line of then you start getting into okay we've now established that neil patrick harris like our our friends like rico gets into this fight and already meets up with denise richards who is already a pilot at this point and then we've established that Neil Patrick Harris moved to the top, top, tippity top of intelligence very, very quickly because he's making the decisions that are sending 
his friend's mobile infantry group out to basically a suicide mission because there's a brain bug on the planet. So one could believe if you go back to Denise Richards whole, while they're pulling into the planet, and it's supposed to be an easy invasion of Clendathu. They're basically going into a death trap. Are all of these things set up just to get people more riled up and get more people joining the mobile infantry to fight these things? You know, it, it starts in, we've been reading a lot of Warhammer, so it falls into, you know, is this an Istvan type situation or a, you know, Whisperheads type situation where the, all of this is set up to make the bad guys have a more easy sway over throwing more people at their enemy because they know with numbers is the only way that they're going to take them down. And they've got like the fact that the movie leaves you with not knowing what the ulterior motive for wanting the brain bug is. Uh, right. Uh, we, it, are we the baddies? Very fucked up. Are we the baddies? Yeah. <laughs> but I love that about this. And I love, you know, I've always felt from watching this the first time that, you know, the convenience of that meteor whether it because you know they're not able because you'd say well they should just be able to shoot it out of the sky and i still think even though they weren't able to be warned that if we really didn't want that to hit buenos Aires, that we would have just been like yeah shoot it out of the sky and then the convenience of rico having just spoken to his parents you know it's all like jesus like that <laughs> this is all well, a movie, bit too convenient well the movie does like the whole narrative is that you know humanity's in the wrong Right. And that Mormon missionaries went into a place they weren't supposed to and got killed. And then the Federation was like, how dare they kill these radical people that we don't want? And now we have no choice but to go to war. And like they, they, they address that. And the yeah. whole, you know, Fox News joke, it's like where they make fun of like a bug that can think, I think not. The bugs are just evil and we have to destroy them. Like they even they, they set up very clearly, like it's sprinkled in. It's like you can see the threads. It's one, and it, it's so damn efficient with all of it because it's not a sh short movie, but there's a lot of movie here. I mean, this is basically um, full metal jacket in space. Like we have a full boot camp and then we've got, you know, a full war movie after it. And it has a lot to say. And I, I think, you know, it's a goddamn shame. Overall, this movie only ended up making 20 million more than it cost. And I didn't realize it was as big of a bomb as it was. I thought, you know, it made 120 million in the U.S., but it didn't. It made 120 million overall. And it, it's it is funny. It is funny to me, sidebar, that uh, making a 20 percent profit on Endeavor can be seen as a bomb. But yes, no, it, it's they got to make three times or they don't count it. I know that's silly, but um, but but it's still looking back on it. It's like, I mean, this movie was advertised insane like i was pumped for this movie but the movie they were selling is kind of not the movie you get i think for a lot of people you do get that movie i mean the young cast definitely sells the you know young pretty people in a war movie thing that i think a lot of people wanted but the movie is super hard r with its gore like this movie yep. is yeah like, this movie is not fucking around I mean, like you put this side by side with Aliens, and this movie eats that movie's lunch as far well, again, as how that's, nasty it is. Well, you again, know? that's the Verhoeven thing. Like, I went back and rewatched Robocop about mm. you know four years ago, and I was like, you know, for a franchise that had toys and like a cartoon, and uh, I know children are into the scene of him getting well crucified, essentially, is uh, 
very hard to watch as an adult. So yep. <laughs> what Verhoeven does. I, I, listen, I listen to some of uh, Verhoeven's interviews about that. Oh. Or he has content. But he's talked about, like, you know, when he came to America, he was amazed, like, how over the top it was. He loved it. He's like, Americans, you're so bright and big and colorful. Everything's over the top. And I wanted to make my movies like that. You know, we're going to take everything to the extreme. And I love it. It's like, he does that. And the American audiences go, this Dutch guy is just all over the top. I don't know what he's on. This this is too much. Now I need to go to Walmart and buy my guns because that's America. Right. Yes. Yeah. This movie is too violent for my family. I need more guns. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love I love Verhoeven too. The commentaries and interviews on the DVD for this and for RoboCop are both fascinating. Um, RoboCop specifically, there's a wonderfully iconic thing where they bring in the city that's during the Ed. Ed 2000 or Ed 209 or whatever it is sequence where Ed just completely obliterates that cop and they bring in, there's like a city model in the room. Cause they're, they're also talking about, you know, the plans they have for the city and it came in stark white because that was like the prop and they were, now we're going to go paint it. And Verhoeven's like, no, 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 no. And his guys like saying, no, no, we have to paint it. He goes, no, it is white. You'll see the blood. It needs more blood. And he's just like, <laughs> he's like, they need to see it. It needs to pop. And he's right. Scientist. I mean, it makes that scene hit so much harder. You know what I mean? That that um that it's so over the top. In this movie, for sure, all the deaths that I love the wonderful foreshadowing this does. Because again, for a movie that I watch it now, God, it's so hard to watch now. With our country going in this direction. <laughs> I, I, in my head, again, I, I don't remember a whole lot like detail, but I do remember that guy getting ripped in half. And Yeah. Uh, There's so much horrific, like wonderful violence in this movie. Um, and just the aftermath. They have great aftermath scenes, like panning through the just they look like freaking Normandy beach scenes. It's 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 just incredible the amount of freaking work that went into this damn movie. Um, but uh, you know, the um what was oh, that? Man. sorry i just i i have to keep breaking my own thing but god verhoeven has so many interesting quotes because yeah. apparently apparently they're so the two nude scenes were a mm. problem and that the yes cast, they were the cast only agreed to do the co-ed shower scene if verhoeven directed it naked so he did yep. and for and verhoeven later stated and i quote Americans get more upset about nudity than ultraviolence. I'm constantly amazed about that. I mean, I haven't seen any sex scenes in American films that are anything other than completely boring. A bare breast is more difficult to get through the censors than a body riddled with bullets. Yep. Yep. That no, is that is loved, classic Verhoeven. Yeah. And he loved the shower scene because he's like, well, I figured, you know, one of the big upsides of this fascist regime is everyone's equal, so they're going to, you know, treat everyone equally because bodies are bodies. That was so goddamn controversial. I don't. I mean, you guys are a little bit younger than me, so I don't. But I remember all the news things talking about this movie and going like this movie that's supposed to be teaching you that fascism is bad. The thing that they were worried about was the it's going to expose our kids to this disgusting scene where men and women are showering together and not being sexual with one another. That's the most amazing thing with the sequence. It's literally men and women in their birthday suits. Hanging out, acting like buddies. That's literally the scene. There isn't anything explicit. Well, you know, about the I, entire sequence. <laughs> so you got you got about seven years on us. So yeah, I, I don't know 
like I was only six when this movie came out, so mm-hmm. I don't remember that. But I've experienced it. I am not saying anything new when I say that America, being quote unquote descended from Puritans, has definitely some fucking hangups when it comes to sexual stuff that make no oh, sense to me. Yeah. But like, like one of my favorite game franchises. Period. When I say one of my favorite, I mean like top three is Mass Effect. And I do remember when that came out, and everyone was like, "It's a sex simulator," because in the forty-hour campaign, there is one like. 30 second scene where there's a blue butt. Yep. <laughs> so there's a sex simulator, sir. It's going to teach <laughs> our children about that perfectly normal and okay thing that you can do when you're consenting that strangely all of our hangups on keeping it hidden and wrong really kind of turns them into more creepy people that do it in a non-consenting and shitty way. So, you know, well, it's like, yeah, we I'm, have it 100% right. Like, I'm really happy that I'm, I, I live in a time, um, I don't know how to phrase this properly, but my friends that are like generally my friends group, we're all, for lack of a better term, woke enough to to talk about our sexuality and our sexual preferences and stuff. I've had conversations with my best friend about the kind of stuff that we've looked at, and, it, and it's not yep. awkward. It's like this is yep. just it's cool. We can talk about it. It's fine. So and the Absolutely. fact that and the fact that the quote unquote mainstream culture is still so hung up about it just weirds me out so yeah the mainstream culture would rather us still you know be making our babies through bed sheets that's what they want you mean you guys don't play sexy ghost <laughs> well sexy ghost is different i mean there is <laughs> now when you now when you do it do you get like the charlie brown like 500 holes <laughs> or or and then it's just it's a guessing game or <laughs> That's, that's a whole different. That's a different game. That, that's only for anniversaries and birthdays. <laughs> just, just one of those things that, like, the, the whole thing is like I've been alive long enough to watch culture get progressive in some ways, and then it's weird to see things like that that are still that way. And yeah, there are definitely more pockets of society where we can have those kind of conversations. And yes, this was a, a controversy. You know, so long ago, but my example with the Mass Effect thing is like it it keeps happening, and the fact oh yeah, that, I don't know, it's just it's just weird to me. So yep. no, no I just I don't thing. get how people saw this movie and accused Verhoeven of being a fascist, and it's like guys, he grew up under Nazi occupation first of all. So if anyone's gonna be a fascist, I don't think it's gonna be him. So secondly, this movie is loudly screaming, I'm a parody, I'm a parody, do you not see? It it literally is, and that's why I love that he cast pretty, you know, people in this instead, like, because again, it's got a who's who of character actors making up the Clancy Brown group. Yeah, well, you know, that's Brown anything. <laughs> Clancy Brown, Michael Ironside, Rue McClanahan. Like, they, they just, they stacked this cast with people like that, you know, the, the handing off of the torch. But this main core group of young kid, God, it's it's weird to call them young kids, but they actually were kind of young when they made this movie, despite some, some Phil franchises, which, you know cast i mean they were supposed to be younger than they were but you wouldn't have got away with that shower scene if the actors really were but you know how it goes but um uh it's it's again you know all of that stuff all of the you know i love how verhoven the violence is meant to come off violent and it hits hard and the scary and the loss is all meant to come off but the kids being kids stuff 
is v- very lighthearted and pleasant. You know what I mean? There's there's no judgment being cast by this film. Like even like the way like 80s horror movies does where it's like, look, you saw a boob. That means that girl's going to die. This mm. is a nasty part. This movie kind of looks at it as like it's just celebrating like the the innocence of it all. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I give him a lot of credit for finding time to make sure his movie has that. Like even even Casper Van Dien and Dina Meyer's like sex scene is, you know, getting caught by the drill sergeant and he gives you an extra 10 minutes kind of <laughs> nod like buddy buddy thing. It's just such a nice, not even like cheesy. It's just nice. You know what I mean? It paints the people within this horrible regime as humans still. And, and I love that about it. Um, that it's, it, almost, it's it, almost the tragedy of it. Honestly. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. tragic. Like seeing like their their original drill sergeant be reduced to private at the end, and he's so goddamn happy because he caught that bug. And it's just like so you feel good for the guy, but at the same time you're like he oh, wanted to go guys... off and fight. Yeah, it was the only way, and that he wanted to fight that badly. That's what this movie's strength is: is it doesn't try and paint this fascist regime as a empire full of angry, miserable, bitter people. It's a bunch of people that are happy and they've been convinced to be happy by a group of evil totalitarian, horrible people. And we spend almost no time with the evil people, right? Like that's another crazy thing. We don't see the leader. Do you know what I mean? That's a thing that I think is so brilliant about this movie is well, there is a, sorry, no, well, we There's, get like the we get like the head of like the the, the sky marshal, the sky, sky marshal. But even that is a as soon as something bad goes down, we just move people around, like like the pope moving around bishops, right? We don't see the quote unquote whoever the president or dictator or whatever it is at the top of all of this is. And I think a different movie would give would spend some time putting you with those people, not to humanize, but to kind of make them look like the empire. And instead this movie leaves you with the people at the different levels within. And instead it shows you, like you said, how easily this can be made to look um, like something you'd want. And I think that's the movie's biggest strength is it's, it's, it's pulling the wool off of, no, this is exactly how you get here. And this is exactly how you keep people in this. You know, well, like the teacher applauding and jumping up and down while the kids step on the cockroaches, which has nothing to do with these alien bugs. <laughs> well, what, you know? what, what, you're, what you're getting at there that I think is very important in general when it comes to depicting anything that you want to, for lack of a better term, move people away from, is that there is a easy trap to fall in when you're trying to vilify something of doing just that bluntly and it makes it seem to a normal-minded audience like your average reasonable person it can seem like well obviously i mean of course this thing is evil look at that and so what you're doing then is you're not preparing the said reasonable people for understanding how something like that functions and how insidious it can be so it is much harder but much more important to be like okay this thing in this case fascism is terrible i want to tell you it's terrible but you need to understand why it's appealing to people this is its strength and you can't properly fight it 
unless you understand how it convinces and attracts people. Mm -hmm. And they, they literally make you cheer and get behind these people. And then in scenes don't like the, you know, the, the evil music doesn't kick up. The movie doesn't obviously turn a negative. It uses imagery you're used to. I love the scene with, with Harris meeting them on the bridge and telling them they have to go back down to the planet and still acting like they're just, you know, teenagers in high school that are friends. But the words he is saying are so pointed and evil and wrong. And he doesn't see it that way because he's completely blinded by the power he's been given. And then that sense of, you know, he's obviously proven to be a psychic. He's the one that gave Casper Van Dien's character the info he needed to be heroic. So now you realize that he wasn't actually, you know, heroic on his own. It was all just part of the plan of their friend that's unfortunately moved up in the regime above them and is the puppet master of this whole damn thing. And then it should be, as an audience member, the, hey, it's afraid line should be this really like, yeah, kill them, kick their ass. But instead I sat there and went, yeah, it's afraid, which means that you now have the upper hand and it probably is just being, you know, it's like they say in Jurassic Park, it's just an animal being an animal. Like how much of this is Okay, it can think and it's anticipating your moves, but how much of it is is survival instinct rather than it waging a war against you? You know what I mean? And it, it it's such a dark sequence because you realize, like, you know, we're never really going to be, and again, they've made sequels to this, but, like, we're not, after this point, there's no difficulty like we're basically neo in the matrix sequels at this point like after this like these things are fucked do you know what i mean and was yeah. there really ever a reason to fight them in the first place you know or, or did we planets. or we did don't... we run out of people to you know since we've gone full fascist and obviously they've cleansed the world and everyone is just a citizen and obeys and goes along with it have we run out of people on earth to say this person's lesser than you feel better about yourself so then we had to pick the closest planet that had something that we could put people above well that implication i didn't caught that either but that that makes sense yeah by the way real quick if you'll forgive me for getting real philosophical for a second because something Ulrich said like about eight minutes ago i wanted to touch on so this idea of people watching this and interpreting this movie as being pro-fascism right so there's an argument I had about uh, two years ago with a friend of mine online about the nature of art. This is why I said, forgive me for getting very philosophical and kind of up my own ass for a second here. But I personally think art is something that needs to be created by an artist and interpreted by an audience. Now, that audience can be the artist itself. I'm, But to differentiate art from something like nature, there needs to be like an active hand creating the thing and has to be interpreted. And that interpretation doesn't have to be in line necessarily with authorial intent. I think authorial intent's a very interesting concept. I think it actually has more importance than like zero importance, but at the same time, your own personal interpretation is more important than the authorial intent, but the authorial intent should probably play a part in your interpretation. Anyway, my point being that I think that in vast majority of cases, there is not an incorrect way to interpret a piece of art. But 
a kind of exception to that is if you interpret a piece of art in literally the exact opposite way that its author intended, this is where I'm like, authorial intent doesn't really matter, but it, it matters a little bit still. This is where, I, I think the, the example that first turned me on this idea was Sucker Punch, where everyone's like, oh, this movie hates women. And I was like, no, this movie hates men. And the fact that you're thinking yep. this. So there it is right there. <laughs> so this idea of like, it just, it kind of depresses me, but it's like, this is the one case where it's like, okay, if you think this movie is this, like, in, if you said anything else, I'd be like, okay, let's hear how you interpret this. But this is the one thing, like, you are literally interpreting this in the complete opposite of its intended meaning. And it's the one interpretation that I'm going to be like, I think you really should reconsider and look at what the creator was saying. So, does that make any sense? Absolutely. All right. My, my point is that I'm very open to multiple interpretations of any piece. But it's like, I say the only way to play a video game wrong is to completely ignore the way it's supposed to be played and not have fun. Because if you do the first, but you have fun, that's fine. Right. But if you're not having fun and you're ignoring all the, the things the game's telling you to do, that's playing a game wrong. <laughs> so, so same deal here. Anyway, I'm done being philosophical. It's just <laughs> No, it's good stuff. Ulrich, I, I'm sorry. I feel like I was talking over you there um, for a second. No, I'm just playing through this movie in my head going, man, I love this movie. And, and again, it's awesome. It's extra awesome. It's so weird to have an action sci-fi movie that isn't, you know, a Star Wars proper or Valerian, you know, or the Fifth Element um, that looks so goddamn pretty. Because this movie, me of Valerian, I love the aesthetics of Valerian. I just wish the movie was better. Yeah, <laughs> me too. No, no, me too. And no, but again, Valerian, I put up there. With films like this in the Fifth Element, even yeah. though Valerian, Valerian, I own because it is a feast for the eyes. It is a visually inventive as hell sci-fi movie. They just forgot to cast people that knew what they were doing <laughs> or have a script that did anything. But I still really love the movie's a lot of really pretty cutscenes, and and I, and I love that about it. Um, but uh, you know, this movie, it's not just. A, like, because again, this movie is graphically violent, like, and in a way that I still kind of winced when I was watching it, like, um, you know, yesterday and today, where I'm just sitting there going, wow, this movie really is nasty. Like, you know, it's not like Scar You for Life nasty, but it's a nasty war movie. You know, people are getting their legs bit off and chopped and having, and, and then the big fuck all cockroaches that spit fire. Jesus yep. Christ. The tanker bugs. <laughs> You know, and and again, you know, another thing, someone jumps onto the back of one of these things and instead of the person going, you know, Harry Potter digital, they're on, you know, a puppet. And and it just it's it's such a good use of old fashioned and new fashioned film techniques. I forgot that, like, from 96 to 2001, so many movies still looked like this. And I think this is really at the top of the heap um, as far as ones that just really really nail because remember the fifth element i think was a year or two after this or right around the same time and the, fifth the same time. and the fifth element's a beautiful movie but the fifth yep. element is also like a third of the budget of this movie <laughs> you know uh, no here's a fun fact fifth element is may 9th 1997 so yeah same year right so same year yeah so they only had a few of the big giant bug puppets to use for specific scenes so Verhoeven would act out the arachnids 
So it would have a point of reference to what was going on. And you'd be so big and everything. So then it's coming in and it's chomping at you and it's wailing at things. And you're falling back. And this is, if you've ever seen the videos of this tiny Dutch men getting very aggressive to Casper Van Dien, it's like he knew what he was doing. And he, he had the passion. It's like, this is a stupid book. And I, he threw away the book, apparently. Like he read the first chapter, got bored, threw it away. But he still had this passion for this movie that really comes through. Well, you know, apparently there was, in uh, 2011, someone proposed to remake the film, and Verhoeven uh, had heard about the remake and heard, like, the details about it, and apparently he expressed skepticism because it, quote, drew heavily from the original fascistic and militaristic novel. So, mm. yeah, that's his thoughts on, on the book. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to read it. I, I I'll have to make my own take on it because again, you know, as a lot of old sci-fi, um, it's kind of hard to avoid some of those things. It's um, true. One of my one of my favorite book series comes from the 1930s, which is the Chronicles of the Lensman, and it has some of that going on. Right. So <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting to see because. It, you know, and, and I really like to go back to 97, like, because, you know, film discourse, I, I feel like film fans um, and, you know, non-fascist people um, <laughs> uh, got the context that Verhoeven was going for. But but I do remember there were a lot of people that did not get that this movie was trying to um, paint a negative view because like 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 that quote Verhoeven took the approach of I am going to make it look as tantalizing as possible to show you that this is how it works and it's so biting in how it does it because like I said at the beginning yeah there's characters that kind of say things that question it but if you were to cut out the little stepaways to the do you want to know more stuff, the movie would almost never break the fourth wall and ask you to pass judgment on what you're seeing. So by putting those things there, it's giving you the opportunity to go, oh, okay, the movie is acknowledging with me that I should have been uncomfortable there because I was feeling uncomfortable, but at the same time, I really wanted to see Casper Van Dien get revenge for his dead parents. So, you know, you've, you've got that they're playing against each other and it's it's so cool that the movie does that and and i don't think it got a lot of credit because then you had the people on the other side that were just looking at the young pretty actors being in a silly sci-fi movie hey, and all fairness uh dizzy yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> No, exactly. That's that's what I mean. And you know, but like looking at this movie and going, okay, so it's basically just a dumb teen movie, but with you know gore. So like, and and I remember people casting it off for that, not getting the subtext of it. People just passed it off as being you know a dumb sci-fi movie, and it is not. Hi, mom. Mm. No, this movie is incredibly intelligent. Um, it's just the story it's telling is not the full depth of what's going on in the movie. The story is a pretty standard kids go to war movie. Um, the subtext and the world that it built and what the implications are of what's going on and seeing the regime build more and more and more, because I I'm, I'm assuming that this is the first time we've gone to intergalactic war with these things. We study them, we understand them, but this attack on Clendathu is the first time we were there 
And so that, like, we're seeing the regime move from just picking on its own citizens to moving out into space and knocking down another race of people to make look less than us. And it's it's incredible when you think about how layered this goddamn thing is. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because you were talking earlier about how, like, film people can really like this movie because what the something about the way you just said to me think of this idea of like if you take the beats of this movie and you put them on paper and i'm not talking about a book because again i haven't read the book i'm just saying like you just take this movie as is transcribe it to paper and i feel like we do lose all if not all a lot of these kind of layers so it's almost like the things that are interesting specifically about this movie are largely due to techniques and and skills that exist in the language of filmmaking specifically. Not yes. story making, but in filmmaking. And you get the feeling that everybody making it was on board. Like, you know what I mean? I, and I'm talking the technical people. Because obviously I, I could imagine there might be some actor that didn't quite get it, you know, somewhere. But... I don't think the, any of the actors got it. I think they just kind of went along like this guy people, has energy. Yeah, so yeah. the people making this movie, the the set designers, the ship designers, holy shit, would Freud have a field day with these fucking <laughs> the the design of of the brain alien, I Caramba, the brain alien being you know mechanically fisted at the end of the goddamn movie. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, what is this word? I don't understand it. So there's a concept I like to bring up all the time in animation, which is uh, if I'm going to engage, with, I'm getting philosophical again. If I'm going to engage with a piece of art, I want it to make good or best possible use of the medium of art that it is in. Which is why, like, if I'm watching an animation, right, I want to see them do things that animation is particularly set up to do which is why i hate like one of the reasons why i fell out with anime is a lot of anime because of budget constraints will just have characters sitting there talk delivering exposition and flapping their lips and i'm like this is no different from reading a book at this point so you're not using the capabilities of animation as a medium and so that's what i'm talking about when i say like uh i I do I do enjoy this movie, but I think a big reason why I enjoy it is because it is really making use of the particular tools of filmmaking. So, whoa, I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes things for this really quick, and I just want to say um, Scott Rosenberg from Salon.com. I'm just gonna say this right on this freaking site, and I don't even care. Fuck you, dude. The, his negative review of the movie, the quote from it is, lacks the courage of the book's fascist conclusions. Oh, <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, I don't know you, dude, but fuck that quote, what you just said, because, yeah, so. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> that statement, Jesus Christ. You, you know what's funny? I'm not going to name any names, but uh, because Ulrich and I use, um, you know, like Spartan symbols and, and warrior symbols and stuff, we have been approached in the past by people of uh, not too dissimilar mentality to that. And we have agreed where we're like, you know, we're not really a political show, but at the same time, we do have 
a line. And once you go beyond that line, no, we don't. No yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. And that's, I just don't see how anyone, I, I, I guess, you know, sometimes subtlety isn't good with people, but I don't see how anyone could watch this and think that the fascist things in this movie are being painted as something that's a good thing to strive towards it. it it's a commentary on them for sure. It definitely shows how they can be alluring, you know, to a person. And that's the point of it. But the movie being pro fascist Jesus Christ. I mean, the ending sequence alone paints enough of a, yeah, this didn't end right. Like this is not a happy ending, but for anybody right now. Well, what's funny about that is that because it's the ending is done in that whole like propaganda style with the music swelling and stuff, you and you at this point have watched the whole movie. You're con- conditioned to at least understand what these the the mindset these people are in. You can understand why that audience, as in the fictional civilization in Starship Troopers, will cheer. For what's yes. going on, and oh, up yeah. to that point, and up to that point in the movie, the movie's actually also conditioned you to generally be there too. But then this last scene, because of what's actually happening, is I feel like it really is the intent to rip you back to reality and be like, "Hey, the thing you've been cheering for for the last uh, hour and a half, remember that this is what it leads to." So, yeah, Jesus Christ. No, and and again, find... you know, like you said, it's a war movie. You can. You can understand, you can see what's happening. That's another thing I don't think that's spoken too much about it, right? Like we we talk about a lot of a lot of other directors who are very good at one one thing or a couple of things, and we kind of oh we kind of overlook the lacking because they're good at those things. Uh, a prime example is is a director like Chris Nolan, um, who you know we all cheer a lot of people anyway cheer for for you know the, a film like The Dark Knight. And forget that Chris Nolan, even though he's making some pretty cool thematic action uh, for thematic Batman movies, can't really direct action sequences like at all. <laughs> yeah. At and all. this Verhoeven operates on every level. He is able to do silly teen romance. He is able to do um, biting political commentary and social commentary. He's able to do crazy, horrific war scenes. He's able to do beautiful space flight sequences. The first time that ship takes off is just gorgeous. He is operating on every level you want an action director to to act on, but also making a movie with a ton of depth. Holy and, shit, he did, sorry, he did Basic Instinct? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When you get into his dramas, it gets even deeper. Like, I was going to say, I, I've never actually seen Basic Instinct, but it's my grandfather's favorite movie, so does, oh, that, it, does that hold up? <laughs> it, no, Basic Instinct's a good movie. Um, it's not an easy movie, um, but it's a good movie. <laughs> I just never got around to it, but <laughs> so, and again, he was he was up for an Oscar recently. Um, for at least his actress was. He made a movie recently that was um because he's gone back to uh, L. L. Yeah, chased him out of the country. L is his yeah. most recent film yeah. in twenty sixteen. And so. again, out of his career. You know, I would say really the only movie of his. I mean, he did make Showgirls. We we a lot of people want to say that Showgirls was intentionally the way it was. I think Verhoeven was just having a lot of fun and forgot. I to have make a heard. Movie, I have personally. heard very mixed things about Showgirls from different Showgirls. Showgirls is bad. 
Remember that thing where I said, like, the sex and stuff in this movie is fun and innocent? In yeah. Showgirls, it's uncomfortable and, and like, and nasty. I, I <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Though. Again, I haven't yeah. seen it, so I can't, I can't it, say. It's bad, but I think it is bad on, like, everything, every decision that's made in that movie is on purpose. I think he was just having a lot of fun. Is what it really came down to. I think he he wanted to make ridiculous pulpy exploitation, and he just ran with it and made a yeah. whole bunch and made a whole bunch of actors come along on the ride with him. Well, he <laughs> always wants to do big fun, but look at he RoboCop, Total Recall, and this, and then Showgirls. He he he, he loves himself some pulp, but and, and I gotta say, purpose I, I, to it. I was gonna say. The really only clunker, because again, Showgirls is not a good movie, but Showgirls is gloriously not a good movie. Do you know what I mean? The fact that people still talk about it, but uh, what is it? Nearly twenty some years, thirty years later, twenty five years later, is kind of a testament that it's. I I've always said that the the worst thing a movie can be is uh, mediocre, like. Being absolutely terrible is something that's memorable and we can talk about it and we can learn from it. But if you have a movie that's just bland and unmemorable, that is that is the worst thing you can be. That that brings me to the only clunker of this man's career, which is Hollow Man. And and I know Even a lot Hollow of Man? Yeah, and I know a lot of people love Hollow Man. Um I the problem no. with Hollow the problem with Hollow Man is Hollow Man got unverhovened. So, yes. so, so Hollow Man, Hollow Man got neutered, unfortunately. Now, would I have wanted to watch the version of Hollow Man he apparently filmed? No, because it, it involved a ton of rape. And I get that that's makes a lot of when you come from the direction that, you know, Verhoeven comes from what happens when a guy goes invisible? Well, it's going to bring out, you know, all of his, you know, desires that he couldn't have and there's a neighbor that he's into in the movie and he breaks in and in the original version of the movie the movie alludes to him wanting to do it and never shows it and i'm not saying that would make the film better but i'm saying that whatever verhoven was trying to do for a point got completely neutered out of the film and you just ended up with a very generic movie like it it's really generic it has some cool horror in it but it's pretty generic yeah but then Invisible Man is just so much better at everything he tried to do. <laughs> yep. That I hands I, down. Like even even the you know women endangerment and brutality stuff that movie's able to do with only alluding to the fact that he abused this lady without having that be anything that happens. She just has the PTSD of a character that that shit happened to without the movie having to blatantly say it, and that is so much more weight to it when you can have a performance show that this guy has just damaged this woman rather than have it be something that has to happen in the film um but yeah you know i need to see l again i've heard l involves stuff like that too it, it it's not i don't think that verhoven enjoys those things i think that he tries to paint them as bad and that's kind of the point but i know l involves some pretty nasty stuff too i know that wasn't well, easy but um, real, real quick, because that's that's a very there's another point, another argument I got to with a friend of mine online. This was probably about two months ago. No, no, longer. So like six months ago. Anyway, uh, so one of my favorite things on this planet is a manga called Berserk. It is. Yes, I know that. 
Yeah, it's the only tattoo I have is the the brand of sacrifice. I, I have that. Like Berserk is really meaningful to me for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with a friend of mine, and he was talking about the problem in the anime community about not being able to talk about things essentially. And he said that because uh, he was looking for anime to watch, and I said you should watch Berserk or Vinland Saga or something. He's like, I can't watch Berserk because of the the rape fetishism. And I said, well, you know, I don't see it that way, but I can see how you see it that way. So that's fine. And I was just trying to be like that. All right. You know, I won't push or anything. And then he turned into this huge like, uh, no, you can't deny it. This is what it is. And the fact that you're saying it's not is the problem, which got me really thinking about this this concept. Because rape is possible is one of the worst things you can do to a sentient person, to a sentient being. Yeah. Like, Period. It's, 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 it's up there. It's possibly the worst, but there are levels of torture I don't understand because I'm an empath- empathetic human being. So, but point is that because of that, it's also a very powerful and important aspect of reality. And Berserk uses it a lot. And I, I'd totally be open to be like someone saying, I think it uses it too much. You know what? Fine. That's a fair argument. But... I don't think what Berserk does is fetishism because the way it shows these scenes is drawn. We talk, I talked about like using the, the strengths of your medium. Well, he draws them in the same way he draws scenes of gratuitous violence and murder. He's creating a connection in you, the reader's brain, that these things are as horrible and horrific, if not worse, than the gory, bloody massacre. So to me, that is... That context and how that happens means it's it's not fetishism. It's actually quite the opposite of it. So same kind of thing here with these conversations about what Verhoeven is doing. It's like you can make the argument that he uses this as a narrative tool too much, maybe. But what he's doing with it is not like fetishistic as much as it is I'm trying to make you the watcher as horrified as I can. And this is a powerful right. tool to do that. Right. It's never a comfortable sequence, whereas he is able to have completely innocent men and women hanging out in a shower without having anything sexual about it. That's that's like the coolest thing in that scene. Like, you you know, we have a lot of, you know, um, people in government right now that are on, you know, a right wing side of things. It seems they all seem to be that believe that men and women can't be friends. And that a man and a woman alone together and that woman isn't his wife means that they're going to have sex. You know, <laughs> these these are very, very crooked and wrong viewpoints. But I love that a movie like this can have something that's starkly... Not only are they just hanging out, taking a shower like dudes in a freaking um, thing, but even if they were into each other, it's not like a time where, you know, oh, I just can't control myself. There is a naked woman. I just have to do something about it. That's not what's happening here. And an old-fashioned, like, 1970s war movie with this, if, if, if you had, you know, like, a man falls into the woman's locker room or something, would wholeheartedly be playing that card. Of, and then the guy had to do something about it. You know what I mean? And he's completely in his right because she was naked. You know what I mean? And it's just like, <laughs> and it's just such a gross way of thinking. And I like that Verhoeven is able to just be so comfortable and open about that shit, you know, in, in, in his movies that, you know, like any weapon, gore can be, gore can be beautiful. Violence can be beautiful. 
like you think of like a scene, like a scene in a movie like The Matrix or something, violence can be beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but it also can be horrific. Sex can be beautiful, can also be horrific. You know what I mean? And te- treating any of those things like they can only be one or the other is is something that's unfortunately very American. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> By the way, hey, I'm glad to hear sidebar. I'm glad to hear you know about Berserk. We're gonna talk about this later. So oh Berserk. <laughs> so my so yeah, I'll, I'll give you a quick aside. I bought the Berserk game on Dreamcast. Wow. All right. <laughs> and I had known of the anime, but had bought the game first. They made a game sort of the Berserk. Have you have you heard of this? I, I'm aware of that game. Yeah. It was I mean, again, it's a pretty the game was beautiful. But it's a pretty, you know, linear, you know, hack 'em up game. But it For made the record, me really. Berserk, Berserk is one of the most successful manga ever come out of Japan, and yet, like every time they try to do something, adapting it usually to games, it's not very good. And only yeah. one of the anime adaptations has been pretty good so far. It's it's sad, but anyway, continue. But but I I bought the game and I loved it. Like it just it really scratched that that itch of like you know, run forward, hack and slash, really cool visuals, really cool main character. I, I loved, you know, it, there wasn't t- much of a story there, but it was cool. So it made me, you know, pick up a little bit of the the manga and start looking at it. So that was my introduction in the late 90s, early 2000s. Hmm. All right. Like hey. I said, we'll talk later. So, <laughs> yes. But um, I was going to say, you know, we've, we've, we've been going about this for a bit. And I'd like to say again, um, you know, before we do closing thoughts that, and I really do mean this, and I'll say it again. You know, I've I've been doing this show for two years. I've been doing all of my shows for three and a half years now. Jesus, wow! Um, and this show would not be as successful as it is without collaborating with you guys. And thank you guys for being one of the first people to ever have me on their show. Um, you know, I I like I said with all these different podcasters and everyone we know, we're only as good as each other. So. My whole outlook is that we we elevate each other together. So uh, it really means a lot that you guys are on here. And um, I'm going to let them plug themselves. But if you guys are a patron of me and aren't a patron of Geeks with Shields, you're doing yourselves a disservice um, because uh, they are, you know, equally as hardworking as me and deserve your money. So uh, closing thoughts on Starship Troopers and then plug your, plug your shit. I think Starship Troopers is an awesome movie and I think more people need to uh, realize that it's great. Don't watch the sequels. <clears throat> uh, my closing thoughts on Starship Troopers are, I think the movie is, is good. I think it's more important than, I, I use this phrase a lot. I respect it more than I like it. And I do like it, but no, there's nothing wrong like, with that. Yeah, and I, and I, but I feel like I don't like it quite the same level as you guys do. But the fact that on like three separate occasions in this recording, talking about this led me to really deep philosophical sort of topics that I, I love touching on. But this is is a testament to what this movie is accomplishing. And I think that in that regard, it is an extremely important movie. And I think that that means it's extremely worth your time. Mark? All right, yeah. did we lose you? No. We put him to me. sleep. No. <laughs> I was just saying how great he was. He's never going <laughs> to know it. Oh, I know it. <laughs> there we go. I, I am I am well versed. No. I 
love this movie. I've always loved this movie, unironically and wholeheartedly, probably because I was exposed to it at way too young of an age, but that's neither here nor there. I will say this. There are sequels. Most all of them are terrible. The second one tries to be a horror movie, and it doesn't work because it's got a no budget. The third one tries to go back to the parody, but it's also terrible and has no budget. Then there's a couple, you know, animated ones. Invasion is good if you like, you know, the action and you aren't really, you don't care so much for the jokey jokes, but you want to see some, you know, more cool action and boobs. It's not half bad. Traitors of Mars is a garbage fire that, yeah. And uh, Casper Van Dien is awesome and loves this just as much as the rest of us, which is really, really cool that he's embraced this as much as he has. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love to hear that. And every Because it's like, you can either lean into something that obviously was a fun project and, and has its fans and people seem to love, or you can act like you're above it. Like some actors do. And I, I love when someone just kind of comes out and goes, no, I am. I'm the dude from starship troopers. And I'm fine with that. He <laughs> loves, he loves the movie. Like that's what I, he's like a genuinely a fan. Like from all accounts, he's like, you love starship troopers. I love starship troopers. And that's a, that's a really, really cool. I was also super happy when they made the uh, Johnny Rico Funko Pop. That was yes, <laughs> my day. Yes, you you are you are definitely um, you are now legendary when you have a Funko Pop. That's yeah. That's, that's I'm waiting it. for the rest of the series because I need you know Diz and I need Carmen and I need a brain bug and I need some warriors and I, I need more Starship Troopers in my life. I am that guy. I will buy the stuff. Just make it. Anyway, to keep Ulrich from uh, going off on such a uh, another tangent, which is perfectly reasonable, but not right now. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say, you know, thank you for your extremely kind words, Chris. I mean, it feels wonderful to to hear that. We love the friendship that we've made with you. I feel comfortable saying that for Ulrich. Uh, I'm really glad that we, you know, reached out to you uh, when we did, and I am really happy where we are today. And I'm very grateful that you brought us on for for an anniversary like this i mean i I love the conversation so already it's fun for its own case but the fact that you you know you had us on for this is is it's meaningful and i mean that genuinely and sincerely and we also similarly uh owe a lot of our success on our show to having you on multiple times like you have done nothing but add positivity and wonderfulness to to our own show and i want you to know that i mean that genuinely so Oh, it's it's great to hear that, and I, you know, to to let people know it, you know, <clears throat> it's impossible to tell how long someone's been doing this. You know, when 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 you find them, <clears throat> you just see start on Twitter, especially you start people seeing people share stuff, and you see, you know, oh, there's these guys, geeks with shields. They're they're sharing all this stuff that I like, and I've listened to their show a couple times, and they're they're sharing my stuff and communicating with them. And I I when I came on the first time, it's like you know, to me. And I don't mean this that I learned then that you guys weren't a good thing because you are a good thing. But you, when when you reached out to me, I hadn't realized that you had been around for as short a period of time as you were. Because listening to your shows, there your your brand is very good. And I know that's a silly thing to say, but like the the you know the 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 pictures you have of the two of you guys on there and the type of guests you were having and the type of topics. It's like at the time, you know, I had just branched off from just doing the tangent with my brother, and you know that. That was a 
new thing because it's like all of my shows have become that a kind of version of that where I just talk to people and I try to be me and I try to be genuine and that positivity rubs off. But you guys, you know, you had topics and you had specific bents and specific ideas that you were talking about people and there was research to it. And that, that really caught me. Cause it's like, I want to add some of that to what I do. And it, it really comes off really strong, especially in the work that I had listened to of yours up to that point. And it still continues. You guys put so much thought into what you're doing. And I think people really need to understand that, that even me, even where, you know, my show literally is me talking to people about random stuff, but I think about it. You know, I think about the guests I'm having on. I, I try to not be boring. I try to not, you know, offend people and, you know, make them uncomfortable, even though some podcasters are into that, you know, and, mm. and I think, um, I think we make a really good team when we team up on this stuff because I, I love that, you know, Axel, that you pull up the wiki, you know what I mean? And bring out stuff. Cause I don't do any of that. You know, I have the IMDV page up and, you know, I've watched the movie recently and then Axel has, you know, historical significance to the, uh, sorry, Ulrich historical significance of stuff and just an absolute love for the movie. And we put those types of approaches. It's, it's like three very different minds approaching it. And it makes a really cool hole. And I just, I like that about your show that you, you know, you, that's why you've been able to get, you know, people like Graham McNeil on like, holy shit. Like literally folks, if you're into Warhammer, these guys got the writer of quite possibly the best fantasy <laughs> novel I've ever written, read on their <laughs> damn show. And he was just so fucking happy to be there. Hey Chris, man, I don't mean I, like I, I I love the praise, make me feel great, but this is supposed to be a celebration of, of it is you it's 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 so. a cel no no it's it's a celebration, but what I'm saying is is it's I I'm only what I am today because of these connections is what I'm trying to say. I do love the podcast community. I feel like this is I'm I've been really happy to be involved in it. So and that we found a, a positive niche in it because I'm sure, I mean, I found some of them on, on Twitch and things. There's some awful people out there, but oh, it yeah. seems, it seems to not be as much of a poison or a disease. Like, like the, the, the nasty podcast people just kind of leave the good podcast people alone. They kind of <laughs> just, they kind of just sit there and do their shit. You know what I mean? But um, I, 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 it's not the same as like a video game community where we all have to play the same thing. So we all kind of, the, the negativity bleeds in, you know, whether it's pandering to, to get them to buy the game or, or, you know, something else. But with the podcast community, we literally talk about stuff. And if people don't like it, they just don't listen. That's yeah. it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more that rarely do I ever get a, you're stupid and I hate your show. <laughs> because you know you know what i mean like like whereas if i had made a piece of art like a game you get crapped on by people because you somehow betray their ownership of video games and it's like i i don't get why it doesn't work the same way but but anyway it, it is late um i was gonna say even though i've been talking about myself everybody knows who i am please even though i gave you a nice intro tell people where they can find you sir. all right all right that's that's your cue you're better at this than i am yeah, if you like nerdy, geeky things, then check out the Geeks with Shields podcast. It's on all of the major 
podcast hosting sites. If you're more into Warhammer, you want to know what Warhammer is, check out Geeks of Grimdark, all the same places. If you are wanting to know horror movies, TV shows, topics, good or bad, check out Geeks Who Haunt on all the usual podcast places. And I think that covers all our bases. Well, we have a fourth podcast in the works. I have yet. I have one more base. Well, we also have echo logs and stuff. But my, my last base is I, I don't imagine there's anyone like this. But if you're listening to this because you're one of our listeners and you just came over uh, to, to, fall, to, to listen to us talk to Chris, then go listen to Chris's other stuff too. Because as the man said, he outputs like a goddamn machine. And it's all great stuff. He, he's got... His various podcasts he talked about at the beginning, they're all wonderful. He's recently started doing this uh, more like kind of scripted thing about this made the chippa, which is great and wonderful. So I'm just saying, like, I don't know if there's anyone like that, but if you're if you came here listening for us, go check out Chris's other stuff. It's great. And if you came here through the Geeks with Shields, I'm happy to have you because friends of theirs are friends of mine. So thank you guys so much. All right. I, I have nothing else. Orc. Go watch Starship Troopers. It's on Netflix. Wow. Yeah. No, seriously, it's it's on Netflix, and I, I can imagine there's a lot of people that have never seen it. It is worth your time. It is, if for nothing else, you get a really gory sci-fi movie out of it. <laughs> there's lots of boobs. Lots of boobs. Um, and, you know, bugs that suck people's brains out. So, <laughs> which still is fucking horrifying. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give one more quote uh, before we leave, which is just some uh, some critic named Ig Ignati. Uh, I can't pronounce the name from the eighties. Carcassy? Oh no, no, <laughs> no. But some uh, some critic from the AV clubs called the film, and I quote, "Too damn well made for its own good." Ah, and I just like that. So it is this movie is firing on all technical cylinders like they're they're all there anyway guys you know thank you both for coming on and shooting the shit with chippa thank you all for listening thank you somehow for even though this is one of four podcasts i make that in only two years time this is in the mid 60s of episode releases for this show like what the fuck <laughs> How did I do that? Um, and the other shows are quickly approaching. I think Talkbuster is near 40. Shoot, you roll, shit, you rolled a 20 on Charisma, Chris. That's yeah, how you did it. <laughs> Tangent is near 40. Um, creating Geeks is near 20. Um, you know, and then I've got Hopped Ones, and I've got Virtual Bar Band, and I've got This Made the Chippa, and I'm tired. <laughs> but, <laughs> like I said, I'm a machine. <laughs> but I absolutely love doing this, and I... and. I would literally talk to you guys 24 hours a day if the world would listen to it and if I could still be married and have children somehow and still do that. So <laughs> thank you enough. both. Cheers to two years for me and cheers to uh, 10 more years at least for, for all of us on all the stuff that we do. And thank you fans for listening to this stuff, um, particularly through this pandemic because, uh, you know, trying to put positive content but that's also stimulating is a really hard balance to play um so we're just really glad to have you guys and really glad that we help you get through so if if something i've done or if something these guys have done has been a positive influence on you then um that makes it all worth it even if it's only one of you so thank you guys for shooting the shit with chip but we'll see you all next time
Hello, governor. Hello. How are you there? I'm all right. How are you? Good. I just got myself an eel pie and I'm having an ale. Ale pie, huh? That's rice scrumptious, that is. That's rice scrumptious. It's good enough fit for the queen, I think it is. Oh, that's hoity-toity of you now. Oh, man. Imagine if we did the whole show like that. Jesus oh, Christ. God.